Hello to you all and welcome to the Pitcast by us here at the Pit Crew Online. From the fans, for the fans. <laughs> right, we, we've, we've sort of spent a lot of time talking there about, um, about pre-race stuff and I wanted to talk about the F1 driver salary cap, but I think we'll have to save that until next time. There is a lot to talk about, so we definitely need to get on to the race. So it started off, um, Valtteri Bottas beat Lewis Hamilton's pole position, and <laughs> it did actually fry the brain of someone in the po- in the press conference. And then he said Lewis Hamilton, didn't he? If you remember that. Um, that but was then, great. Yeah, in the race itself, it it started off. Um, Hamilton uh, didn't get a great getaway. He tucked in behind Verstappen, and it was just sort of expected to go like that for for a while. Um, there was some <laughs> racing going on down the midfield, but honestly, that always seems to get overlooked, doesn't it? Um, but then <laughs> when um, Bottas and Verstappen both pitted. Hamilton, even that, that was a virtual safety car, and we have to talk about that. Virtual safety car, they need to ban pit entry for VFC. It's like full safety cars, yes, but virtual safety cars, no. But um, Hamilton looked like he was actually going to be able to um, to get out in the lead, even without the VSC. But it did, and that's always going to skew what people think of the result. Uh, Hamilton got out ahead. Even he was he was doing formidably up until that point, anyway. Um, I, I, so on the point of the virtual safety car stuff, um, James, I've got to ask you. This is like Hamilton's benefited way too much. Like even I, as a Hamilton fan, I have to admit he's lucky as hell. Like when when Ocon, uh, what happened to him? Blew his engine when he did. I completely agree. You know you can't. Um, you've you've really got to feel for Bottas in this situation. Like you said, he got pole. He beat. Hamilton, who's got the most pole positions ever, so beating him on any qualifying day is a mega effort. He held the lead at the start, he was going away well, and then um, you know, he picked up the bit of floor damage that was holding him back. And then the VSC happens while Hamilton's leading after Bottas's stop, and it comes out right when Hamilton's coming around to the pit entry. So he can just duck neatly in, take his pit stop, come out ahead of Bottas. You, you couldn't have called that better. Um, I think someone on the on the Sky commentary team said it was as if Mercedes had a VSC button on their pit wall. Um, yeah, talking yeah. about tinfoil hat territory if you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Sure, well, I got Louis, one in the drawer. Lewis famously <laughs> did pet the, uh, the cat, which was said to have oh. given good luck across the weekend. So Tim, no throwing that around, okay? No throwing it around, Tim. <laughs> Yeah, so he did. He certainly benefited a lot from that. Um, I'm still in two minds about whether you close the pit entry under VSC or not. So I think sometimes you do benefit from it and sometimes it is just racing. Um, I don't know, I'll, I'll throw that one back to you three to debate. Adam? <laughs> I'll sit on the fence over here. Um, <clears throat> it did seem a bit odd that it was only out for, say, how, however long it was, five, ten seconds or something. It, Enough time for Hamilton to get it, into the pits. While if, if, it's going to be, if it's going to be that short, then I really doubt it was needed just for that amount of time. Um, put, just put a yellow flag out for that specific section of the circuit. People slow down, get it out of the way, or even, I don't know, it just seems so... Um, it just seems so pointless, really, um, to do it in the first place for that amount of time. Um, whether or not the virtual safety car needs to be out for a specific amount of time and they stick to that regardless, um, like there's a minimum amount of time it needs to be out. Uh, maybe that, maybe they need to look into that. Um, but it does seem to be a bit odd 
that it can sort of it can only be out for five cent five seconds ten seconds and then favor someone in a specific section of the circuit and then come in straight away whether or not it needs to be out for a minimum of say a lap time say a minute say 30 maybe that might be fairer on all drivers in that case but uh I'm not entirely, um, I don't think I have too much of a good opinion to offer anything about the, the pit entry. I think maybe Tim might have something to say on that. But uh, um, yeah, I'll hand it over to one of you guys. I just wanted to jump in on, um, I think the reason that, uh, I was going to say full course yellow then, um, the VSC American. was called, Yeah, <laughs> I think the reason that was called rather than the flags was because there was a recovery car on track for Ocon's car. So I think it's just mandated in the rules yeah. that, as soon as that happens, a VSC has to come out. But yeah, I, I agree with you on principle on that. That it was out for so short a time, it could have just been flags if it was like picking up a bit of debris or something. Yeah, when I was watching the replay, I watched the, the replay again. And I, I, I hit the rewind for a minute because I'm thinking, did I miss something? You know, where, <laughs> where, where did this happen? Why is it? Okay, so Hamilton's in the pits. There's a virtual. And then what? So it, it was, but yeah, to James's point, I think this is a case where um, perhaps the sporting regulations need a bit of a review uh, around the conditions around the virtual safety car. And, but yeah, to Adam's point, I think a minimum amount of time might be a good thing to have for the VSC. I mean, I like the idea of the virtual safety car, but I think the actual way it's shaped up in real life, it's, it's been a bit uneven. I think it's been a bit weird. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't have a solution, obviously, but yeah. I, I think that they could examine some of the regulations around the virtual safety car to make it a little more consistent and not, because wow, that was just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, was it the, the Eiffel Grand Prix, wasn't it? When um, uh, Bottas pitted after he had locked up his brakes and ruined his stint. And then a VSC came out, I can, I can never remember who it was for, um, but it Verstappen and Hamilton were able to duck into the pits, get out, and then it ended. Like, I, I don't want to propagate the tinfoil hat-wearing uh, conspiracy theorists, but I don't think I'd have much ammo to fight back at them with if the, this is some of the evidence. Like, the same when last year at Russia, um, Hamilton and Bottas were able to get out ahead of Leclerc after Vettel's car conked out. Like, it is getting a bit ridiculous, I do think, even though it has benefited the person I want to win, I do think it is a bit unfair that these drivers are able to make stops on the safety car because if refueling was a thing, then I would understand having to keep, you know, the, the thing in where you are allowed to pit on the BSC because you could run out of fuel otherwise. But the, thing, the fact is that they're running fuel throughout the whole race. They don't need to refuel. So unless you've got a puncture, you have no reason to really go in at all. Like, and yeah. you got anything to say to that, Adam? No, I completely, completely agree with that. Um, it, uh, it, it doesn't really make sense that, uh, that some drivers should be benef benefited it and then some others aren't just depending on where on the circuit you are. Um, some people say that's, that's just racing, but uh, I don't know. I, I, it, just, it does seem to tend to gravitate towards <laughs> Lewis at the moment. However, I will, do, I will kind of back Lewis up in that case and say that he has had a few decisions go against him this year. Uh, in some ways, such as we've seen the penalties at Russia or, or penalties all over the board, really, um, pointed towards Lewis. So he has sort of had sort of things gone in his favour and things gone against his favour. So you could argue, though, that the penalties are sort of his own doing, whereas the VSCs, it's not like Lewis knocks someone off. Oh, no, virtual safety car, call it, I need to pit. 
He didn't like not. Okay, he <laughs> knocked someone off. Um, I'm, feel, I'm feeling for Albon in this moment because of the two podiums he's been deprived <laughs> of because of Hamilton. Oh man. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, Chris, who you know he's constantly uh, calling bottle job Bottas every time Valtteri bottles it. Um, we got a. There's a parallel to be to be noticed in the um, in, in the last from last weekend's Portuguese Grand Prix. Um, Bottas, just after Hamilton pitted for hard tyres going into the final stint, Valtteri was like, "I want a box of softs," and um, and the team were like, uh, "No, we're going to put you on hards." And it seems like there's been a bit of a role reversal uh, because Hamilton uh, was like, "Well, I, I, I can't remember exactly. I think he said he would stay out because he felt like he could go quicker." And then after, because of Bottas pitting. Um, they were asking Hamilton, do you think you could stretch it a few more laps to potentially, and I think the, the plan there was to put him on softs. So do we honestly think that that Mercedes are really sort of like trying to skew it in favour of Hamilton so much? What do we think to that? The um, silence is definite. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm wary of straying into, um, into tin four out territory. Um, but yeah, when, when they said to Hamilton about extending his stint for 10 more laps, I think it was, after he said, I'm going to pick up the pace, don't stop me. Um, which I assume he meant, don't box me, and wasn't singing, yeah, wasn't singing along to that. Um, yeah, I did think of the of the decision in Portugal not to give Bottas the soft tyres that he asked for. I think Mercedes had come out and said that the reason they overrode Bottas's call for softs was because the soft tyres on other cars at the time just were not showing any pace. Um, mm. But, but then, it's just on know, the surface level, the fact that people just like <clears throat> hear like that on the surface level and then just feel like you know, Mercedes are favouring Hamilton and all that. <laughs> it, it's yeah. not gonna, you, can't, you can't satisfy these people, unfortunately. Well, yeah. we'd, we'd sort of seen, didn't we, sort of around practice, people were sort of deliberating on whether the mediums were the way to go in qualifying because they were, they were able to get the temperature quite quickly into them and they were almost on par sometimes with the soft tyre runnings. Um, so that didn't really end up the case in qualifying, but you could see the logic there in taking mm. a, a calculated risk. I wouldn't say, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. That's one word for it. <laughs> so another thing that happened in the race, um, well, Verstappen's <clears throat> car failed on him uh, near, about not that long, not that far from the end. He'd gotten past Bottas. Bottas had uh, um, then he and then Bot and then Verstappen's car failed on him, which caused a safety car. Hamilton was very lucky to get around the track in time just to fit the softs on after because he missed the pit lane and had to be and was stuck behind the safety car. He just got out ahead of Bottas, who had also pitted. Um, and then on the safety car, Russell had a crash. Russell would have gotten tenth potentially had he not crashed. It's just like I swear, you know how. Mick Schumacher gave um, <laughs> gave the his dad's helmet to Lewis after he equaled his uh, like run of ninety one wins at Nurburgring. I feel like Luca Badoa is going to be giving Russell his helmet as a result of all the, the more starts without a point at this rate because it just seems like Hulkenberg has no podium. Russell will have no points. It just <laughs> I feel I feel bad for the guy because he was doing so brilliantly. He he is wringing the neck out of that car and he's performing incredibly and. That one little error, which, considering how little temperature he had the tires, and it was sort of like a downhill kink as well, like it, it was, it was almost inevitable that that thing was going to happen, and it did, and I felt gutted for him. So, and anyone want to say anything about Russell's 
before we get on to the last few laps? Yeah, I think I think he just hit the I think he just hit the throttle at exactly the wrong time. And it was it was really a shame because yeah, Russell's another one of those guys that shows lots of promise. I think he's he's got a good future. Um he needs a little more experience. And again, with, with Imola being a track that isn't like super familiar to these guys, you know, I, I, there's a lot that I think there were, were perhaps more unforced errors around today. And it's not the kind of thing you'd want to <clears> see is these guys making unforced errors, but it was, it was, you know, one of, one of the things I love about some of these tracks is that sometimes these professional drivers do the kind of things I do in Gran Turismo because I'm an idiot. And, you know, so it's all, yeah, I, yeah, I think just bad timing. Speaking of Gran Turismo, uh, uh, do we review James Adam play Gran Turismo? I did, but not anymore, okay. but I have done. James? The, the most up-to-date racing game I've got is Mario Kart Wii. Okay. <laughs> so we'll leave you out this conversation. There's a track on Gran Turismo, Sport in particular. It's an Italian track called Man- Maggiore, and it, it, I wish it existed. Like, since Because Italy has some of the best tracks in, in the world, in my opinion. you got... Imola, Mugello, Monza, Mizano, Vallelunga, and I wish that other one existed. You go look for an onboard lap after this. I highly recommend it. Um, so going into the last few laps, um, some drivers pitted, uh, some didn't. Uh, Perez was on for a podium, but he, Racing Point, for some reason, decided to to pit him, thinking that he would be able to just sort of like ease through the field, but it ended up backfiring on, on them massively. Um, Ricardo got a podium. Adam, I know you're happy about that. Uh, Kvyat could have gotten a podium, uh, considering it's, it was their, the closest track to Alpha Tauri's home base in Faenza. That would have been one hell of a story. Um, there, what else was there? There was like Leclerc holding off Perez for all, the, for all those laps near the end. Um, Giovinazzi managed to, to score points, so the people who were bad-mouthing him earlier, I guess you can shut up. Uh, then there was that uh, no, me. I don't know. <laughs> Were you bad mouthing him? I was listening. You um, and then uh, this is the same with you, uh, like making articles about Albon, and then he just so happens to do the opposite in the following race. Yeah, every every time, every time. Uh, but in the end, it was won by Hamilton, which means that we were just. I was just discussing this in the, in the crew chat. He has won on every track he's ever raced at, bar four. So who here didn't see the, the ones that it, that it wasn't? You know, which tracks he hasn't won at? Anyone has a guess, Adam? Um, the ones he hasn't won at? Yeah, there's um, four. There's four of them. Uh, India would be ding, one. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Um, Valencia? Yes. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, somebody might have to take over. Um, Korea? Is Korea yes. one of them? Yeah. Uh, last one escapes me. Someone take it. <laughs> I can't remember. Go on. Who wants to to win the final point? Manny Cool. Yep. Ah. Yes. Great. Yes. Uh, so as a result, yeah, Hamilton. I, I, does it? I wonder if it would count having like the you know the the outer loops Bahrain race. If that would be like for any any different for than just a normal Bahrain layout. But in any case, yeah, Hamilton ninety three wins. Um, he's. He's, He's beaten the record back. again. <laughs> well, it's kind of easy to beat the record when you're the one who set it. Um, and then we've got like, uh, well, Bottas obviously second. That sounds horrible in, on surface level. Obviously, he's second. Uh, Ricardo third. Um, are we satisfied with the return of Imola, um, James? Oh, so satisfied. Yeah. I know it's it's a tough track to return to, obviously, with its history. Um 
but there's there's something when you saw the drivers going around after practice with such a big smile on their face they love the challenge of that track and when i watched um i still don't know if we call it fp1 or just fp on saturday morning fp1 and only the track looks so beautiful there's I don't know what it is about this track, but it just, it's up there for me with ones like Austria and Spa of just such a picturesque track that's also such a great race track. Um, yeah, it was, it was special seeing, especially the Mercedes, the way they take a qualifying lap around there on Saturday was just incredible. I know the race wasn't a lights to flag thriller, but at least it's one of those... Yeah, it's one of those ones where I think when you see the onboards on qualifying especially, and especially in Q3, you can see the challenge of the track in the way the drivers drive it. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see this back on the calendar. Bring back the San Marino Grand Prix. Yeah, um, and also I think this year because of the situational circumstance, F1 was always going to um, expose themselves in a way in regards to priorities in terms of tracks because whilst we consistently have had to have, suffer the inclusions of, you know, Sochi, Paul Ricard, Yas Marina, um, to then have these three uh, additions to the, maybe even, well, four, because Turkey is two weeks' time, but particularly Nürburgring, Portimao, and um, Imola, all being tracks that drivers just absolutely love, and as soon as Istanbul will definitely be added to that, you you got to think F1 is going to have to really um, take a look at their uh, what their priorities are because obviously they're going to go where the money is. But also we we always like to take a, a big dump on Herman Tilke, but we have to remember that he designs tracks for the for the the people that that are paying him. And so if they give him like a some kind of marshland in the middle of nowhere with very little space, he's not going to have a lot to work with. Um, in fact, just before this, I was watching a video by um, by Josh Revel who um, pointed out a track that Herman Tilke designed that um, was actually uh, pretty good. It was called the, the Bilsterberg circuit in Germany. It's not F1 capable, but it is apparently a very good track. So in, in future now, uh, do you think F1 are going to see the reaction to this? I'm putting this to you, Adam. So I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But do you think that F1 are really going to start really sort of looking as to how they can get tracks that are fan favourites uh, in terms of like the characteristics for new tracks that they could potentially go to in the future? No. And okay, this is then. why. Uh, because Moving F1 on. favors money over the, the circuit. So it will always go towards whoever has, who is, whoever's offering the most site fee. So no. Uh, so whether Saudi Arabia is going to live up to these expectations, I highly doubt it. Um, and, you know, we've, all of us have seen, uh, I don't know if anyone's raced on the Vietnam circuit on the I have, F1 2020. I, I don't rate it that much. Um, uh, I actually, sorry to interrupt, I do quite like it. A lot of people saying they don't, but I think it's got a decent flow to it. I actually, uh, you know Rob? Rob Ker um, yeah. Kirsch? Yeah. He, um, he was a commentator for a league race I did um, at Vietnam, and I actually got pole position, and I think it's got a really nice flow to it, especially that last sector. I think it's... Um, I think people are really jumping on the hate wagon way too early with that. I think it could potentially, because in the first F1 eSports event, it actually offered up a good race. Mm. Uh, so I think, I think um, it is very reminiscent of Baku, mixed, but mixed in with a bit more of a sort of, because that, those S's are really nice. Like you mm. should drive it yourself if mm. you have the capable technology. Anyway, yeah. carry on. 
No, no, I, I mean, pretty much I've just finished my point, to be honest. It's just the basis of it is we're, we're going to be going to more sort of tailor-made, uh, sort of quite artificial circuits, potentially with more just car park runoffs and less gravel tracks, less grass, because, you know, they're, um, they're you know, they're just, they're new builds, uh, to, to say the least. They're more like the Russian so Sochi Autodrome, for example, which is, yeah, yeah to say the least. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I've got much more to add to that, um, as, especially with the way that Formula One's going now. And Formula One in itself has less money to operate from. It's, um, you know, they're just going to be going to all of the different uh, vendors saying, please, please pay us to host it in your lovely, horrible car park for this year, please. Ru Russian oligarch, however, money, you have very little <laughs> of leeway to demand here. Um, so I think what I was trying to ask there is that do you think perhaps because I can't imagine the people who put in the money to make a, a good circuit they would want it to be a, a complete and utter ball fest um, because I, surely I'm not saying you know dig up a, 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 a like a beloved track and then plunk it in the middle of a desert or anything uh, what I'm saying is do you think um, I'm, Tim I'm going to have to ask you on this point here do you think that the future that these future tracks will be heavily influenced by the fan reaction to the likes of Nürburgring, Portimao and Imola and then in two weeks time Istanbul. I would hope so, but knowing the way money tends to flow, I am not hopeful. I know as a fan, you know, and this is something that always comes around on Twitter. You've got a lot of the people that are like, oh, it's boring, it's processional, it's all that, you know, and, and a lot of people were worried that, that today, of course, yeah, not going to be many overtakes. Well, you know, that's part of it. But I, I, as a fan, I enjoy watching the drivers race the track. I enjoy them competing against the tarmac itself. So I know some of these highly technical tracks that may not um, be great for spectacle in some ways. But then I'm, I'm definitely very wonkish about all this. I have a very, you know, I like the technical arms race aspect of F1. I I like a different subset of the features than a lot of people do. But yeah, I don't feel like we're going to see some truly great tracks built. Because yeah, again, he builds the tracks he is given a brief to build. He builds them the way the people that are paying him to build them. You know, he designs them the way he's told to design them, basically. I mean, he's given some remit within there. But, you know, he has terrain to work with. He has requirements and specifications to work with. And I think the overall spirit around it, and this is, this is at risk of, of sounding too much like I'm getting old, the spirit of the times is not the same as it was before. There was a lot less worry about some factors when some of these classic tracks were built. Some of them, yeah, I think even though some of the safety improvements take maybe a little bit away from the track, I would much rather not see drivers die, for one. But on the other hand, there's, there's a balance here because with improved safety technology, I think on the cars, we can get some tracks that have a little bit more, you know, pizzazz to the racing. Um, but again, it's, it, we're in a different, it's a different world now than it was when a lot of these classic and rightly so tracks were built. And it, it, in a way, that we would face a problem where 
you know, the fans are never happy. And if somebody did build a track that was too reminiscent of something else, there would be a lot of decrying it as, oh, this is derivative, it's imitating. Oh, yeah, they say that about Circuit of the Americas, don't they? Yeah. And so it's, it's like, well, what the hell do you want us to do, guys? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a, it, the, I, I think that we're kind of in a very risk-averse period right now with the global economy being the way it has been for the past several years. Um, I, I could really bore people with economic arguments and financial engineering arguments, so I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, but suffice to say, we're not likely to see new exciting circuits. I hope we get some of the good old ones back. I, I would hope that there could be an argument made for upgrading some good tracks to F1 capacity. But am I hopeful this will happen? No, not a bit. There we go. Very, um, very, probably very realistic view uh, from someone who knows what he's talking about. So to round off this episode, uh, of course, people are going to be fed up talking about Lewis Hamilton, talking about Mercedes, but they are the dominant team and they have just broken the record for the most consecutive uh, drivers and constructors championships. Like not, neither of their drivers wrapped it up yet, but Max Verstappen is apparently out of contention, which means only Bottas and Hamilton can win. So they've effectively won the drivers' championship. We all know it's going to be Hamilton anyway. And then we'll check in in like December and Hamilton scored no points and Bottas won it all. Uh, so no, knowing the way it goes. Um, but um, even though we, we all collectively agree that dominance and complete utter stranglehold on, the, on, on a sport can get a bit repetitive and drive some fans away. Uh, I was not a particular fan of the Vettel Red Bull dem- domination back in the day. Um, so maybe I'm a bit of a hypocrite for not having too much of an issue with the current domination. But in any case, they are, it is what it is. And um, uh, we, ha- we do have to acknowledge the, the utterly unmatched record, the, this achievement of Mercedes right now. Um, obviously, uh, just before the beginning of last decade, they were very much at risk because Honda pulled out. Uh, then it was bought out by Ross Braun. Uh, took him to drivers and constructors with Jensen Button winning the championship and Rubens Barrichello also there. That probably sounded quite odd. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to sound like that, Rubino. Um, and then Mercedes bought out the team. They struggled for the first few years with Nico Rosberg, Michael Schumacher. Then Lewis Hamilton came to the team just in time for the for the utter dominance that would come from 2014 onwards. Hamilton won all but one drivers championship. The other one went to Nico Rosberg. And they sit now as probably the, the most dominant F1 team of all time. Um, so uh, any final notes on what Mercedes has, um, has done? Uh, yes, James? You've, you've really got to hand it to them. Like you said, it's, it's not fun from a fan perspective watching a dominant team. But yeah, you've really got to give it to them for what they've managed to achieve. And the, the fact they've not only broken Ferrari's record for six uh, consecutive Constructors' Championships... But they've done it across, you know, multiple rules changes, um, or a couple of rules changes at least, and with their with their sort of core team changing over that time. You know, they started off with Paddy Lowe, who has since uh, uh, James Allison has since taken his place as technical director, and Andy Cowell has left from the engine side of it. And uh, last year we lost Nicky Lauda. The fact that they've managed to maintain that that level of dominance despite sort of those changes going on in the running of the team and through you know they they were dominant in the 
um, the old regulations, then through into the 2017 regulations. Then when things changed with the, the bigger wings uh, in 2019, they still kept ahead and stretched out their advantage. But that, I feel like they're almost kind of redefining what a Formula One team can be at its best. Yep. Uh, there's another thing to mention there because obviously 2014 to 2016, I think all but like eight races were won by Mercedes. Something like th- that, yeah. And then 2017 came around. A lot of people just assumed 2017 and 18 Mercedes dominated, but I think a Mandela effect about all that is that Hamilton never led the championship outright until Monza in 2017, mm. which is incredible to think about when you assume that he, that Mercedes were just dominating at that point. Um, and then obviously 2019, it was business as usual, <laughs> as it has been. So, yeah, Adam, got, got anything to say? Well, you've just got to hand it to them, as every, everyone said. And you've just got to sort of look at... Um, Formula One uh, is an egalitarian sport in essence. So you've got to be the best at what you do and that will merit results. And when you look at all of the other teams, they've just not stepped up to the plate, just like Mercedes has. Ferrari's had the opportunity and has seriously bottled it ridiculously this year with the engine specification. Um, And Red Bull have designed a car, which even if they were at the level of Mercedes, they have designed it purely to suit one driver and thus would not win a world championship because the other one would be finishing way out of the podium positions every race. So yes, they are uh, sort of winning all the time and it may be boring and people may sort of lose, um, lose some sort of uh, admiration for that. But, you know, uh, they've just stepped up and they've been consistently good for however many years it's been. And the other teams just haven't. And, um, You've got to commend them. You've got to commend them for that. Yeah. Um, I, what I do, there is one more point I want to make, but I'm going to let Tim have his say on this as well. Go on, Tim. Yeah. Um, yeah, as, as I think we can all agree that Mercedes dominance doesn't make for great television, but for the meta of the sport, it is, it is just amazing. And, you know, I've been Mercedes guy for, since they, kind of, they, they, they you know, since they came back in. Um, and wow, I mean, it just knocks my socks off that they've been so utterly dominant. I mean, that, that it's, it's the saying, you know, quantity has a quality all its own. And just the sheer, it has been good. I've been very glad to see some more competition, especially if 2017 on. But at the same time, you know, they're my, they're my team. You know, I, I, I always was rooting for Rosberg. He was my guy. So, you know, I was kind of sad when I understand why he retired, but I was sad when he left. But, you know, of course, it's like, yay, the, you know, my guys are just crushing everybody. And, and so that's gratifying. But again, I, I find myself on race day, I typically am paying more attention to what's going on in the midfield. Um, almost somebody, one of my friends from my professional circles on, on Twitter commented that it's like, you know, he's, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's, it's, like we're watching a multi-class race, like, you know, the WEC. It's like, so he's, you know, winning GP2, you know? <laughs> so we've got the, the LMP1 guys way out in the front. And then we've got, you know, the GT Pro class, yeah. you know, where- <laughs> Falls where, down. Yeah. So I think, I think that, yeah, I definitely, I appreciate what Mercedes has done, but I'm also looking forward to the budget caps to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a Mercedes fan, it is, you know, when they first started winning, it's like, yay! And then they keep winning. It's like, yeah! And then they keep winning. It's like, wow! And it's just, <laughs> like, I've lost my capacity for amazement at it anymore because it just is this 
utter string. And as people have said, you know, this is not the first time a team has dominated for a number of years. I think it, it's perhaps the most obvious, but it's also the most recent. So it's in our minds. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I hope they keep crushing everybody in the coming years, of course. But at the same time, I want them to have to work for it harder. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So the last point I want to make, because I realize how long this episode has been, um, it's about, so Chris brought it to my attention. Uh, he sent a message directly to me, which obviously means it's of high <laughs> importance. Uh, Hamilton sort of suggested that he might not be racing next year, um, which is huge. But I don't think there's a lot of weight to it personally, but it is worth talking about here. If Lewis Hamilton were to retire at the end of the year, I do feel a bit sort of I would feel a bit a little bit miffed because as much as we want to see competition I kind of also want to see a driver break into the three figures for poles and wins because mm-hmm. no driver's ever done that before and I also because his race number is 44 what's four plus four yeah anyone want to take okay we all know and <laughs> the fact he's going to be winning a seventh title this year and the cars won't be changing much into next year, and so that could potentially be eight. Um, uh, in any case, whatever he decides to do, <clears throat> Hamilton's going to leave a lasting impact on the spot. And Adam, you wrote an incredible piece, uh, which kind of took the wind out of my sails because I was planning on writing something like that. You look. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm all right with it. I might still write something when he wraps up his the championship. Um, but he has sort of really taken this spot into a brand new direction which will last for for absolutely years to come not just in his driving um so if he were to retire at the end of this year what how would you feel about that adam well uh, i'd be incredibly sad because we would be losing not only a good race driver but we would be losing uh, a real advocate for change within the paddock which um i've all alluded to in my article is a positive uh, in, has a positive impact on the sport and I think him going from Formula One would, um, we would be lacking someone with uh, the voice to change the sport. There's not really any others in the in the paddock who can step up to that plate. Um, so that's just from a sort of a, a social change aspect rather than a racing perspective. I think he's a leader and I think he's a real force for good that everyone could look up to. Um, and I'd be really sad if he does go. Um, one thing I will say about the thing he said is it does sort of sound like um, his usual uh, comments on his tires in races. Yes, he yes. Goes, hey, I, my tires are falling off any minute now. Uh, somebody pits and then he puts in the fastest lap. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's just... Taking him on. <laughs> it, I just, I don't think he's going to go. I think he's going to stay on and take the eighth championship. I think... Hamilton is a person with many projects on the go, such as the Extreme E project that we saw launch and with uh, his fashion range with Tommy Hilfiger and other things going on in his life. And obviously he needs to know really what direction his life is going in terms of those other projects, what he's having to prioritize at any given moment could change quite drastically. So it does make sense that he's sort of leaving it, leaving it sort of play out to see what does change in his other ventures. Um, but I think we're going to get one, maybe two more seasons out of Hamilton personally, but I will be incredibly sad if he does go. If he were to go for two seasons and win both times, I do feel a bit sort of like, oh, if he goes for nine, then he has to have 10. Because <laughs> then that would be like, 
Because yeah, like Valentino, greedy, Valentino Rossi is like that. He, he's on nine championships, like it's two in the lower classes and then seven in the top class. And now he's he's just short of that ten. And oh, that would be like a pain for him if he could, could, the same with Hamilton. If he wins nine championships, he will have to be like ten. And if he doesn't get ten, it's like that's gonna irk me. Uh, me personally, and maybe even him. Who knows? Maybe he'll be happy with nine. James, what about you? Yeah, I would. I'd be very, very, very surprised if uh, Hamilton retired at the end of the year or left F1 at the end of the year. I think that would maybe take the biscuit for 2020's twists and turns. Um, yeah, I. It's it's like Adam said. You know, I. I don't think he's being quite truthful when he's saying I don't know where I'm going to be next year. We've seen whenever he's had to do a new contract with Mercedes the last few times. He's always he left teases, it until... He teases, yeah. that, oh, I might go, but if you give me more money, then maybe. Yeah, and he always leaves it until he's got the championship wrapped up because I think he oversees his negotiations himself. So it's in his interest to get the championship done and then turn his attention to the many, many pages of contracts. Um, yeah, I think we'll see. I think he'll sign another two-year deal, maybe even a three-year deal. And that's when, you know, when that's coming to the end, that's when we're going to start potentially seeing him closing out his career. Who knows? He may then sign another three years after that. Well, Kimi Raikkonen's going until like over 40. So who knows? Exactly. <laughs> Hamilton 15 <laughs> times champion, maybe. Well, Simon says, Simon keeps comparing him to Roger Federer. And I would not be surprised if <laughs> he's still there in his 40s winning races. Yeah. When you said Simon says, I thought you were about to go. Simon says, touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tim, right, Tim, your, 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 your opinions on this now. Yeah, well, I, I, I think we're all in agreement that this is more of a you know, PR tactic than anything else. But it's in, it, I was thinking about how, in a way, it's very much in keeping with Mercedes' PR strategy writ large, where over the last several years, when you look at the discussion of who's got a strong car and who doesn't, it's always Mercedes saying, hey, these other guys, they look pretty good this year. It's never somebody else saying, hey, Mercedes sucks out loud. Um, it's, it's always Merck's, it's, you know, Toto Wolf has been the guy saying, well, Ferrari looks like they've got a very compelling package this year. And you're like, yeah, right, Toto. Good job trying to, uh, you know, blow smoke. Um, but I, I do feel like Lewis is, you know, very much enjoying his success. But to the point of, the, you know, hey, what have you done for me lately that I referenced earlier? Well, yeah, he's going to go into the negotiations being able to answer that question of, hey, I just delivered you guys another championship. And yeah, he's, he's 35. He's not old. This is a hard sport. And like some of what I was talking about earlier um, about age, and it's affecting, I mean, obviously, Kimmy's trucking along quite handily into his 40s. Um, I think Lewis could conceivably, barring some injury or some, you know, unforeseen crash or something like that, I, you know, maybe in the off season, you know, much like some of the other guys have had problems with, you know, Kibitza and even, you know, Kimmy crashing a, a rally car or whatever it was, um, injuring himself and everybody going <gasps> for a minute with that. You know, I think Hamilton uh, could very well continue on for at least another three years, if not longer. And again, I would love to see him get nine, 10. I think 10 would actually be a very good point for him to hang up his gloves and say, okay, I'm going to go do something else now. Um, because it's the rest of chance. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a high bar to set, but I think 10 championships is not insurmountable, but it's going to be a really tough 
tough thing. And especially as if the regulations continue to change, much like, you know, Max will always be the youngest F1 driver ever simply because they changed the rules right afterwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, poor Hulkenberg, he'll, he'll probably always be the guy with the, you know, longest stint of no podiums. Um, Russell with no points. Because some people have uh, simply had not had careers as long as Hulkenberg has had. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, and, and again, with Mercedes' overall PR strategy, they're the ones always casting uncertainty and doubt on their chances. It's never anybody else casting uncertainty and doubt on it. So that, that's my two cents on Hamilton's announcement. Announcement. <laughs> yeah, in, <laughs> in quotes. quotes. Yeah, yeah quotes because this is, a, yeah, this is a podcast. No one sees you doing the finger waving thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so... <laughs> That, I think that kind of um, that sums it all up, really. There's been a, there was a lot to, happening in that race. We kind of touched upon pretty much everything. And now we've come to an end. All right, so before we wrap it up, driver of the day, uh, I'm personally going with Hamilton because he was going to come out on the lead even before uh, the VSC came out. The VSC just sort of really tainted his, uh, probably one of the best drives of his career, probably. Um, James, what about you? I'm going to go with someone we haven't even really touched on because we've had so much to talk about. Uh, Danny Kvyat going to P4. I did reference him. Yeah, he's been on it throughout the weekend. I think he had a great qualifying being in P8. And yeah, this is, it's ironic really that the weekend when his teammate was confirmed at AlphaTauri and he wasn't, he puts in one of his best drives of the season. But yeah, standout drive from him. Uh, Adam, you've got uh, next, sorry. Um, I'm going to say Sergio Perez. Only reason being is because I believe that he would have been in for a podium shout had it not been for his team's uh, unfortunate uh, pitting decision, which was completely nothing to do with him. And he had done such a good job to make his way from P11, extend that medium tyre stint clearly uh, in front of all the other runners who fell into traffic with the Magnuson traffic and all of that. Um, He came out in front of Ricardo and really just dominated that best of the rest um, position up until that final pit stop. And I really do believe he would have got that podium. And we've seen it for the past couple of races. He's been on it pretty much since, um, pretty much since he's, uh, he was announced as no longer continuing with Racing Point. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's once again put himself in a really good negotiating position for that second Red Bull seat. Um, but uh, just, you know, purely from P11 to a potential P3, uh, lost it, obviously finished, what, P5, P6? I can't remember exactly where he finished. P6, uh, yeah. P6, but yeah, I'm going to go with Sergio Perez. Yeah, the racing point just don't want uh, Lance's teammate getting a podium and because got, <laughs> Stroll got that podium, didn't he? Uh, Tim, what about you? Yeah, I'm actually going to go with uh, Daniel Ricciardo on this one. Um, it was nice to see him back on the podium. Um, also, for perhaps the unconventional reason of getting that, that look out of Lance Stroll, uh, after the shoeies, just that that wonderful, wonderful facial expression on on Stroll's face. Why Stroll? After, well, just the way he, just his, you know. I, I think the shoeies are just. Are, are just, you sure you don't uh, mean Lewis Hamilton? No, I mean there was the the screen cap of of Lance Stroll like in the background, like yeah. I didn't it, see that at all. It, it, I, yeah, he wasn't up there, but the, somebody got a picture of his face. I'm gonna look for that. this now. Yeah. Um, it was it was brilliant getting getting that reaction from the other drivers, but yeah, the uh, the shoey is is you know I, I personally find it incomprehensible and weird in Australian, <laughs> but um, no, I I I'm very glad to see Ricardo back on the podiums. Um, it looked like he had perhaps done an Alonso with leaving Red Bull when he did and going to Renault, 
but he's actually winning some things, or not winning, but you know, he's getting on the podiums. He's, he's up there, he's showing he's still got what it takes. And so for me, that's a very gratifying, gratifying thing. I think Adam, I think you know the picture I was talking about with, with Stroll. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, his, just his reaction, you know, Wait, he is, doing the Chewy, but getting that look out of Lance Stroll was just brilliant. Yeah, I might've been thinking, you were probably referring to Baku all those years ago when Stroll got his first <laughs> podium. All right, well then, everybody, that has been the Pitcast Debrief on the Mealy Romagna Grand Prix. Uh, I have been your host, Luca. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can, it is RedLuca56. Uh, James, do you want to give people your social media handle? Uh, I'm on Twitter at James16Matthews. Adam? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Wheeler underscore deals. And Tim? Yep, I am on uh, Twitter for all your hate mail at uh, racefanweigel, W-E-I-G-E-L. Uh, good German name there, but uh, yeah, that's me. Well, uh, all your all the Kimmy fans will uh, will come and flood your inboxes. With <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to my DMs for a while here. <laughs> I've been sending you a few throughout this episode. <laughs> hmm, they're not coming. <laughs> Odd. Hmm, funny thing that. Oh, wait, the delete. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this has been terrific. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. So thank you very much for listening. We will see you out on track.